Look, in an effort to compete in weight divisions, in sport, day-to-day training, weight probably doesn't matter. We're going to look at chronic and acute weight loss and making weight. Harriet. Here we are. Let's go. Harriet Walker, sports dietitian to make sure there's no bullshit. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. Today's podcast is brought to you by the revolutionary new Hydroxyburn Sleep RX. This natural therapeutic sleep formula is unlike any other, designed specifically to combat the negative impacts of poor sleep on the mind and body without the common side effects associated with other sleep aids. It combines innovative and clinically researched German ingredients Recoverben and Blue Ness with other safe proven herbs to calm the mind and soothe the nerves, helping you sleep better. How? via lower levels of stress and anxiety and reduced muscle pain, improving your recovery time and enhancing mood. Sleep better. Welcome to Body Science HQ. Today, I have the lovely Harriet Walker on board, sports dietitian. G'day, Greg. We're going to talk about a really interesting topic. Chronic and acute weight loss, often in the form of dehydration, is used to make weight in sport. So I want to talk about competitive sport, making weight, what is making weight, and we'll talk about the manipulating of your dietary intake of fiber, carbs, sodium, fluid, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Let's get the dietitian on board to tell us how to make weight. Fabulous. Thanks for having me along today. And this is a topic that I really like talking about for a number of different reasons. So making weight in sport can be done in a reasonably safe fashion and it can also be done in some less than safe, bit more risky fashion. So I definitely like to get out there and discuss the ways in which this can be done well and the ways in which it can be done poorly. The first thing I would probably point out is asking the question of anybody do you need to cut weight because very commonly you see people who are just starting out in their sport it might be a weight class sport so that could be anything from martial arts mma boxing those kinds of traditional sports where weight cutting is associated but then we've also got olympic lifting powerlifting strongman which all have weight classes in them can i ask a question here planning your weight making strategy ahead of time how much time do should we be talking that's a good question and that really depends on where you're starting from okay i mean the first thing i look at is okay what's your goal and then we're looking at the athlete and looking at how long are they can be competing for because a weight cut is definitely an advanced project for yep. somebody who is fairly serious about their sport and who are probably looking at you know competing at a you know a high state level or looking at competing nationally internationally for novice athletes i think talking about weight cutting at all is really putting the cup before the horse. We want to make sure that that person has got a lot of good competition under their belt. They're still enjoying their training and they're still learning, you know, the the art of competition before they start distracting themselves with what is a pretty hefty project. So the one thing I will always make sure first with my clients is A, you know, is a weight cut reasonable for them? And B, are they doing it for the right reasons? So for the average punter out there, Harriet, weight cuts are not the same as weight loss. Do you want to explain 
Yeah, and that's a really good point to start off with because very commonly, unfortunately, these two get mixed up. So there is a difference between aiming for chronic weight loss, long-term weight loss, where you have an end goal that you'd like to stay at permanently. And that's what I would sort of class as generalized weight loss. So techniques we use for that, you would assume, are things that you can stick with once you've implemented them in order to create long-term change. Making weight is definitely looking at maybe a little bit of permanent weight loss so if an athlete's wanting to go down a weight class we might assess where they need to sit to do that effectively but then we're also looking at the short-term manipulation of various components of the body in order to get them at their uh, weight for competition for probably only a couple of hours so that's the um, when I'm working with people on a weight cut we have to make it very clear from the the get-go that this is very short-term they cannot expect the results for the most part to stick once the motivation of the initial goal has passed and that's definitely something that people can get caught up on people can use weight cuts for sport for the wrong reasons they might use it as a weight loss motivation but you just have to be really clear that very commonly once the the date has passed you know the competition date has passed that intense motivation you get working towards a goal generally dissipates and we cannot expect once that high level of motivation is gone for the results to stick as as well and plus we're also doing manipulations which we'll go through in more detail that are not permanent we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about you know water manipulation and gut content manipulation and that kind of gig so first thing there is novice athletes we're not even looking at weight cuts we're yeah. not talking about them they're just not appropriate you need to be looking because they're not necessarily enjoyable <laughs> we don't want we want people to be enjoying their sport for the sake of sport we don't want it to make about people's bodies that's definitely something that I I'm pretty straightforward with for people. The next one is discussing with the athlete, is it going to make you more competitive? So again, it's not about aesthetics. We don't want this to be about looking looking good, looking lean, unless that is hand in hand with it improving their performance. So in some cases, you might be sitting, you might be have a really strong athlete who, if they compete upper weight class, are going to be at the bottom of the pile. Whereas if they were within, you know, arm's reach of the weight class down, it's going to give them a competitive advantage and increase their chance of winning at that level so that's really what we're looking at is will this weight cut improve their competitive advantage whereas there might be somebody aiming for a weight cut where it completely ruins them Mm -hmm. you know they've they've cut their calories they're they're at a weight that's just not sustainable or comfortable for them at all mentally it might you know mess them up a little bit because anytime we try and lose weight there is a risk involved that we are messing with somebody's relationship with food and their body and we just need to be really clear with that on the get-go that we're working with somebody who is probably mentally robust enough and that's not to say that you know that there's anything wrong with not being robust enough to to go into a weight cut but we just want to make sure they're in a good place to doing it and they're doing it for the right reasons and they have help going in but they also have help coming out afterwards so where do we start well like you said you know how long do you need and so i would look at the athlete's starting point where their weight is at and then we would look at the competition date so so if I've got an athlete who is sitting maybe like say 10 kilos above their weight class, they're carrying a fair bit of excess body fat and it is we've assessed that it's fairly reasonable that with a bit of fat loss plus a little bit of acute weight loss that they're actually going to be in a really good position going into the competition with a 10 kilo card. I'd be starting quite a long way out for that because mm-hmm. 10 kilo weight loss is a pretty big deal for anybody. So what's your, as a, as a dietitian, you're saying what half a kilo a week for someone for, for weight loss? Well, what are you be... saying for somebody 
when it comes to making weight? Making weight. Well, again, I would I would look at the time frame that I have. So mm-hmm. if I've got a short time frame, it might be more aggressive than that. So we could be looking at one kilo or a bit over that. But generally speaking, if I'm looking at somebody, the next step I'm looking at is with different sports, they have different times for weigh-in. So some sports, it's less than three hours. So Olympic lifting, you weigh in on the day and three hours later, you're competing. So your ability to recover from that is really limited. So we really want the weight loss to have occurred a long time prior. Whereas in other sports like strongman, it's 24-hour weigh-in and some boxing fights, it's 24-hour weigh-in. So What do you mean by 24-hour weigh-in? You weigh in the day before yeah. and that means you've got 24 hours to recover. So okay. we can be a lot more aggressive with the acute weight loss with those people. So rule of thumb, I wouldn't want people losing less than 5% of their body weight to, to drop weight. And then if, if it's less than three hours weigh-in, because we're probably causing a little bit too much damage to recover from in that short-term period. And then over the 12-hour recovery time, so we wouldn't got more than 12 hours to make weight for, we are able to probably be a little bit more aggressive and look at more of that 8%. So for a 75-kilo athlete, 5%, we would be looking at around 4 to 6 kilos for 5 to 8% loss. So that's that's one thing we have to look at is the recovery times as well. But generally, I'd, I'd say a sound for fat loss. I would be looking anywhere from 250 grams to 500 grams of fat loss properly per week fab. Some people can do more than that. And especially initially, they might do more than that. But as you get that sort of ceiling of diminishing returns, which does happen, and again, depending on their starting point in terms of body fat percentage and whatnot, it might be slower, it might be faster. So ample time is important. Are are you working with athletes in their off season leading into their season? Are you mapping this out over 12 months? I'm really keen for people who... Obviously, if you're into boxing or martial arts, you've got a coach. They've got somebody they talk to in relation to making weight because that's one of the most punishing making weight sports I've ever seen. Yes. How how long out are you working with people? So what I'm trying to get here is the dietitian walks in when? Ideally, the dietitian is walking out in at the start of the season so that we can figure out the critical dates Planning, when, critical you need dates. To, yep. when you need to be at that weight. Very commonly, the dietitian gets called like a week before. Week before, nice. <laughs> What are you doing a week before? <laughs> Saying it's not my problem. Okay, there you <laughs> no, go. I'm no, kidding. I'm um, there's definitely things we can do that that close in, but it's it's not ideal by any means. I would really, if it's you know more than three two or three kilos, I'd really like to be being consulted like a good three months beforehand yep. just so we can really map it out really nicely. And for sports like powerlifting, you want ideally that person to be sitting around their weight well before their competition if they're, if they're dropping a weight class because it actually does change the bar path. So, you know, if if they're a female and they've lost weight on their chest, that's going to and, – and males as well, that's actually going to change the the, weight, the position of the bar, same with a deadlift setup. So you also want the athlete to have the opportunity to change up their setup of their technique. So look, for every kilo you need to lose, I would probably say give the dietitian a week (laughs) or even double it um, for half a kilo that you need to lose. You know, give yourself that much lead time in just as a rule of thumb. The more, the better. And that way you can really periodize your nutrition. So you can look at maybe potentially chronically, like long-term weight loss. If you're dropping a weight class, you might want to sit two to three kilos above your weight class at any one time and be able to dip down. Because like with boxing, you might, 
might not know when your fight is. So you might get, you know, two weeks notice that you're fighting in, you know, a little. So you get that little little bit less lead time and it can be sprung on you. Where other sports, you know exactly when it is that you need to be performing at. So it gives you some good lead time. So I've worked with quite a few strong, strong lady athletes last year working into some really big competitions and we were working for at least a good three months. The same with the bodybuilding competition. You know, you want a, a 16-week prep is quite short. But, you know, if you're starting from a fairly lean body mass you might just do a quick four week if you're only looking at dropping a couple of kilos you might just do a quick four week cut down is there so if you're going to go into and, and talk about chronic loss versus acute loss and you know recovery and post-comp and all the things you're chatting about planning how would you process planning because obviously you want to continue performance you want to look at recovery and you're trying to make weight so h- how are you looking at the food pyramid the the athlete yep. process here in relation to what you're doing there yeah absolutely so I, I would kind of look at it as there being four phases into a weight cut so the chronic weight loss where we're trying to get rid of as much body fat as possible and we're doing that well out so we might look at again that sort of let's let's work with a 12-week block we might look at the first you know eight weeks as being fat loss that means that we want them in a mild calorie deficit so we want a calorie deficit created we'll figure out where their starting calories are at you got to start somewhere so doing the calculations and finding out where their calories are sitting their protein intake making sure it's adequate to preserve muscle making sure that they're training well and they're recovering and then you can modulate their energy intake accordingly so i'd start somewhere i'd be getting them to send me a weight and measurements if not you know ideally would they'd be getting skin folds once every two weeks or so or they'd be getting some kind of body composition measurement so we can actually assess but at a minimum a weight and maybe a waist and hip measurement would be a good way for people to be monitoring where they're at and i'd be getting them to send that to me initially it might be every two weeks but once a week as we get closer and i'm changing their calorie intake and I aim for minimum viable product essentially I want to make the smallest change to their diet so that they can maintain their training volume their training intensity because it it differs from something like bodybuilding say where you aren't being judged on your performance in a bodybuilding you want to get as lean as possible and you can ride through any kind of decrease in training like output you know what I mean as long as you can ride it out sit on the couch afterwards and vague out you're fine as long as you're lean whereas with a lot of these competitions you need to be not only sort of potentially leaner but you also want to be competitive and you want to be able to sort of hit it hard so that chronic fat loss I'd be working at potentially in a 12-week block looking at at least sort of six to eight weeks of just trying to get as much fat off as possible if it's a big cut I might go a little bit more aggressively on the on the calorie deficit initially and then if it's happening really quickly I might woo up and add in a bit a little bit more calories just so we could slow it up a little bit but then once we get closer we're moving into the acute weight loss which acute I would say would be around the one week mark we're okay. looking at those those other compartments in the body that we can manipulate which are very much short term and then the let's get deep and dirty there let's talk about water loss and glycogen depletion. Uh, so everybody wants to know how to do that yeah so get in that dress on Sunday it's funny there are a lot of really old school techniques used for weight cuts these days and it's kind of it's a bit unfortunate because when we look at the success rates of athletes who are using really extreme 
weight cut measures. It's almost as though the weight cut outshines the actual competition and the fact that they made weight is the win. And like excessive dehydration is probably the biggest old school technique being used. So I ask anybody when they think weight cut, they, they're thinking like black, you know, black hoodie Rocky style running up and down or be, people being wrapped up garbage in bag. garbage bags or spitting saunas, out. The sitting saunas, there spitting. All that kind of stuff. And look, in certain scenarios, that may be one of the tools that we use but you know we've come a long way for the most part with weight cut and we kind of need to look at the body in terms of what can we lose from the body with the most minimal sort of impact on performance so when i look at it we've got water so we've got the cell you know water of the the body we're now in the last day the last week we're looking at the last seven days last seven days yeah so we've got total body water we can play with and that can be from sweat loss that can be from urine loss that can be from saliva loss at a very big stretch. We're looking at gut content. So at any one stage, we might be consuming, you know, one or two kilos of food a day. If we can modulate that, great. So food volume and food fiber are two that we can manipulate without really impacting the athlete's well-being. Then there's muscle glycogen. So we do hold a certain amount of muscle water with our muscles muscle glycogen and you know reducing carbohydrates can be a technique in order to to use to get did you just say reduce loss. carbohydrates yes wow well i know i know carb queen over yeah, here i know you love your carbs but look it's a technique that we can be using so we've got water loss we've got gut content we've got food volume we've got glycogen loss and they're probably the key ones that we're really playing with when we dig a little bit deeper the two there that are least likely to put the athlete through a lot of pain and, and can get them to lose a good one or two kilos. Fiber, gut content, so reducing the fiber of the foods that they're eating. So this means that we go from eating lovely, you know, whole foods with high fiber content. Color my plate. To really down to nothing. And when you say nothing, you mean like straight protein, meat? Yeah, just meat and protein and fats, essentially. So protein and fat. Protein and fat, yeah. And at this stage, I am putting a big caveat on this is that it goes from being healthy eating for, you know, to making weight. performance to to being acute weight loss and yeah. there is probably zero healthy about it but you know when we're talking about professional athletes when we're talking about high level competition this is when the risk versus reward is slightly skewed there and so you're in the last seven days it's pretty important what type of performance loss can you have if you get this wrong i think that there's some good studies that have been done i think who was it uh, reed real is a researcher in australia who's done a lot of work in weight cutting in mma and combat sports out of the ais he's now over at the in the u.s with Gatorade, which is kind of cool, but um, him, Gary Slater, Cox, and Louise Burke, Greg Cox and Louise Burke. Some big names there. They did some good research around outcomes and the modalities used to cut weight and then how well they could recover from them. So when we get an athlete who's gone to a really large extreme, and again, it comes down to weigh-in times, I mean, for the most part, they are able to recover. If they're able to recover from the weight cut efficiently and effectively, you know, we see those good outcomes. However, if they've gone to the extreme and they're really, you know, really 
really dehydrated and their, their you know cognitive function is out because of this we don't like there's almost no point in competing in, in essence so it really comes down to the you know how well they've done their weight cut and also their recovery time so but it can go really wrong and mm. I've been in competitions and that's like at a you know maybe like a state or national level where athletes haven't turned up because their weight cut just they've been told some really poor information and while people are talking to their coaches I will say that coaches also need to make sure that they're up to date because again like running around with a garbage bag is a is <coughs> one option but these days when we look at the the research and the the modalities that are out there it's probably the last one on my list yeah. <laughs> actually it is the last one on my list I will try to avoid at all costs with my athletes them water loading because it's really uncomfortable and it can impact their sort of psychology going into a competition so why, why is that impacting it's just really uncomfortable when we're looking at a water load mm-hmm. so we've sort of looked a little bit you know sweat is one way we can impact body water so sweating it out like we're talking about the having the jumpsuits on and going for a run or garbage bags or whatever so sweat loss is one that's sort of passive sweating so that's yeah. like if we're sitting in a sauna we're not actually doing anything where the the environment is acting on us in order to get that sweat to come out active sweating is probably a little bit more of a positive way of getting sweat loss mm-hmm. because their body is regulating it you're, you're doing something to get the reward for the sweat and sort of research shows that replenishing electrolytes after active sweating versus the passive sauna sort of sweating is a lot easier which is kind of cool so back to your question on water loading it's it's quite an uncomfortable process if you've i mean i did one recently just for the sake of giving it a go and it involves drinking large volumes of water so we're talking six eight ten liters in one day ten liters in a day depending on the size of the athlete some of the research by reed real was looking at 100 mils per kilo of body weight and again i'll preface this by saying i wouldn't do this unsupervised so looking at large volumes of water being consumed across a 24-hour period times three so i'd generally do a three three day water load followed by restriction of water down to sort of 15 mils per kilo of body weight for a sort of a 12 hour period leading into the weigh-in so essentially what you're getting is there are hormones in our body that are associated with water management water level management in our body so hydration levels essentially and there's that fun word that we talk about all the time homeostasis i see you rolling your eyes oh, i love that word but there's all these fantastic mechanisms in our body that exactly. allow our body to stay at baseline Right. So some of the hormones evolved with water level, hydration levels, essentially, because hydration doesn't impact, doesn't just impact like total body water. We're also talking about blood pressure as well. So it's very tightly controlled. So we're looking at antidiuretic hormone, which is also called vasopressin. We're talking about aldosterone, which is involved with sodium regulation in the body. We're talking about renin, which is a protein that also goes on to a to trigger another hormone called angiotensin. And they're all involved with vasoconstriction, so blood vessel constriction. And you can imagine like a, a blood a blood vessel, like a hose. If I put more water through, it starts bulging. And if I turn the water off, it might sink down. Yes. So that's essentially what we're looking at in terms of blood pressure and how tightly controlled our, our total body water is. So when we're water loading, we're essentially overriding a lot of these processes. So we are deliberately increasing our, like our water intake. So your intake. body's screaming, no, don't do yeah, it. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, and we're keeping them going. So essentially, what happens? And you're talking seven or ten liters before, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And that's across a sort of a a waking period. So it might be from seven a.m. in the morning to seven p.m. at night. And you might be thinking that's too much water. Surely that's not good for you. And yes, you would be correct. There is a condition called hyponatremia, which is too much. So Harriet, when it comes to water loading, what are some of the considerations? Well, what we're looking at really is water balance in the body. We're manipulating the water balance. So the kidneys are the organs in our body that are in charge of total body water concentration. And we're talking about our that. kidneys. Kidneys. Yep. So we're talking about that lovely word that you love when I say it's homeostasis. It's a great word. It's a great word. It's a balance of our body and it's all the systems in place that ensure that that balance remains. So you're adding seven to ten litres of water to me. Yes. And you're still using that word. Yes, because what's happening when I'm adding seven to ten litres of water to a body that is otherwise balanced is I'm essentially flooding my body yeah. and my kidneys are in charge with me. Are making, they screaming at this time? Yeah, they're going like, stop. Yeah, okay. I heard them last time I did a water load. And what are they making me do? They're making me pee, essentially. So when we... You said you did a water load in Longo, didn't you? Yes, I did. I did a water load in my last weight cut. How many litres did you drink? Um, I got up to six and a bit litres. Is that all? Well, I'm only, I'd like to say I'm a small human, large and in charge, Strong. but small. Strong. So that was... So you got six litres on top of your normal daily or six total? Six li- total, total. Yeah. And um, were you drinking anything by the end of the day or just water? Just water, but okay. I did put So no electrolytes? No, anything, it was just, just water. water, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just drinking water. Might have had a bit of... Diet Coke, it might have had a bit of cordial because six litres is a lot of fluids. And I included like black coffee in that and tea, so fluids, not just water. So So the kidneys were ringing, you had to weigh a lot? Yeah. So actually, how much came out? Oh, look, I think a a total. Because you would have a dietitian, she would have measured it, so I'm going to (laughs) ask. How'd you measure it too? I had a a shaker bottle by my toilet, Greg. Wow, we might give you a couple of new ones before you go today. (laughs) I had a whiteboard no in my office. Shakes, protein shakes at Harriet's and house. For three days, I um, measured my water intake. Yeah. And then once I reduced the water down to the 15 mil, I was measuring my water output. And so I started peeing a lot. So water? frequency, also duration? Uh, volume. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm pretty quick. So, I mean, the kidneys. So obviously, I'm asking these questions because obviously the athlete that's traveling yeah. has major issues here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. water learning is highly impractical and it's pretty uncomfortable. And if you're like... I I work from home so it's fine for me to get up every five minutes and pee it is not so good if you're working in an environment and work you know we can't all just give up a week of work work going into a competition before you go into how it all works with the kidneys and stuff mm. were you drinking like tap water n- yeah normal water yeah yep, yep okay yep. so you so, weren't going for some type of battery water or something that's you, can get, you know how you can get those neutral waters that yeah yeah you drink look, them all day you never feel you never feel <laughs> like you're actually quenching your thirst yeah i i just went for Bit straight school tap water, yeah. so yeah yeah i went when I was bodybuilding, I did do a water load coming into my competition, which I now, in hindsight, see that was actually probably pretty useless. Yeah. So water loading in bodybuilding is for a different purpose than for water loading in weight class sport. So that's a whole other conversation for another day. But so in this case, yeah, I was drinking six litres of water, peeing quite frequently. And in and that's because your kidneys are screaming. That's what yeah, you're getting Yeah, my body's trying to, to get me back, yeah. back into balance. And I'm deliberately overriding 
doing that. So I was trying to get back to homeostasis, which was a total body water appropriate for my size. But essentially, so the kidneys are in charge here. They're Mm -hmm. the organs that assist us with water balance. And there are a series of checks and regulations that it uses in order to keep that balance. And there's hormones that are in charge of that. So the key ones that we're looking at with water loading, so there's antidiuretic hormone, so ADH, and that's also called vasopressin. So what does that do? So essentially that is the hormone that is associated with retaining water and reabsorbing water. So Anti- retaining, so is that the one that makes you pee? Antidiuretic. So if you think about diuretic as something know, yeah. that makes you pee, it's antidiuretic. So it's basically a hormone that's associated with water retention. And once we inhibit that hormone, so once we turn down that hormone, we actually... And you turn that down by increasing your water. Well, what we do is we increase water, increase water, increase water, and antidiuretic hormone gets turned down because I'm dilute. Essentially, I'm diluting my body. So we don't want to be retaining water. We want to be expelling water. But once I cut water off for a very short window of time, whilst antidiuretic or vasopressin is suppressed, I get a rebound effect. So I've stopped drinking water. I've cut the stream off. Lol. But then I've also, I'm still peeing at a similar rate because my body has gone, okay, well, it seems as though she's habitually still drinking this six litres of water. All of a sudden I stop, but my body's still like toodling along as though I'm still doing that. So I get a rebound effect where I'm able to continue on with the frequency and volume of urine output that I used to have until my body figures like, hang on a second, she's she's done a number on us. And then my body will work again to increase antidiuretic hormone and downregulate those other hormones. So aldosterone is a hormone. That's one of the big ones, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so that's associated with sodium balance. And then we've got renin, which is a, a hormone that goes on to trigger angiotensin, which is a hormone that is associated with vasoconstriction. So vaso meaning like blood vessel dilation or constriction. So you can see that a lot of these hormones are either holding, getting us to hold water or getting us to excrete water. They're very protective. Yeah, they're very yeah. protective because it's really important that we stay in balance because there are scenarios like um, the condition called hyponatremia, which is low sodium. Essentially, we drink too much and we kind of dilute our sodium levels. And because sodium is so important for cell function and sort of cell excitation and whatnot, if that gets too low, then our body can't, it's not conducive to life. So yeah, people and, can die from that. And what, how are we going to feel at that stage? Like, how did you feel when you were water loading? I just, like, I really couldn't concentrate on much else because my bladder was instantly full yeah <laughs> so other than that like it's uncomfortable and it is a way of water cutting and it's one that's probably fairly frequently used but it is a really big imposition on the person in those days so you know it's it's you have to be concentrating on your water intake and i'm only drinking like six to six and a half liters of water if i've got a hundred kilo athlete they're drinking like 10 liters wow that's a lot of water and it's very hard to get down so practically speaking water load is quite quite a tough one as well. So what's the goal here? Like the big goal, we've just had a big joke about it. We've talked about what you did and everything, but what is the goal? The goal we're looking at maybe like 1% to 2% weight loss using water loading. It might be more, it might be less depending on the person. So again, when we're looking at the tools that we've kind of discussed earlier, we've got food, weight, 
we've got fiber volume, we've got water, total body water, and that can be from a water load. We can also be looking at decreasing carbohydrate in order to lose some of that water associated with carbohydrate in the muscle. And then we've also got the sweat loss. So we've got passive sweating and active sweating, which we were talking about before. So, you know, they're the sort of the levers that we're playing with in terms of a weight cut. So traditionally, the first point of call has been the sweat run. And people have, you know, only anecdotally, people have left it sort of quite late. They've they've gone on to the, you know, white fish and broccoli for two weeks leading in. They're training like crap. And then they go into sort of rocky mode, put on the sweater because that's just what they've been told. And that's yeah. just the culture. However, like actually it was really cool recently, the mundane fight that happened up here. One of my colleagues in, a, a, they actually had a sports dietitian involved with his weight cut. Yeah, nice. Um, and he actually came in under and, he, you know, by all reports was feeling really good. You know, it's really cool to see that, you know, there's people in those roles now that are actually making it better for athletes and improving performance outputs of these people rather than just relying on old school like techniques. We're actually looking at science. We're using the evidence base and we're looking at the athlete as well and what they enjoy. Some people like like don't mind doing a water cart. So, you know, if it's if they're able to do it, if they don't have to worry about work so much and they're not flying anywhere, then if they they, they like it, then hey, I'm I'm fine with implementing that. And in some cases it you know, if we're pulling out all the stops for a weight cut, if somebody calls me ten days out and they need to lose three or four kilos quickly, then it might be something that we implement. But it is definitely water cutting and the sweat gig. Just because of the imposition on the athlete and the the mindset it puts them in, it really takes away from the mental preparation because it puts them in such a discomfort, such an uncomfortable position leading into their competition. It really can ruin their mental state because they're so focused on the weight loss that they they can't go into the competition calm and focused. They're going drowning in water or really dehydrated and feeling really crappy. And having done like a you know a good chunk of water weight cuts with people. I try and avoid the extreme. I start with the smallest possible imposition on them and that generally starts with the fibre cutting, so reducing the the volume of their gut contents and that can be one to two kilos. You know, once they've pooped it all out, they're yep. pretty clean. So that's easy weight loss. I don't even notice that one. So are you doing a detox there when you talk like that? I'm not doing a detox. I'm just cutting out their fibre. Just cutting out their fibre? Yeah. So not dropping anything in there like high magnesium or anything? And I would never recommend that to anyone. But Absolutely not. No, but for anyone, who has had a large dose of magnesium it does have a laxative effect so we don't play in that area though as a dietitian we don't play in that area very uncomfortable and unpredictable oh yeah you don't leave home you do yeah, not, leave, do home. not leave home no i have had clients who've taken magnesium at night time and have complained of frequency of bowel movements essentially we want to do the minimum in order to get to the goal so i start small so i start with the fat loss if i can get a good chunk of fat off somebody by you know implementing a calorie deficit over a long period of time and get them to within one or two kilos of their weight fat that's what we're after then you know in the week beforehand i'm looking at okay what else can we what are the other levers that we can pull and i want to first pull the lever that's going to leave the athlete feeling the most comfortable leading into their competition so if i just reduce you know take their veggies out for them first thing that i get is like oh this is not healthy i'm like well it's not it's not healthy no absolutely that's correct but we're only doing it for a week so we're not going to be doing anything major for a week um, you know any major damage for a week so that's fine the next lever i'm looking at is food weight so the actual physical weight of the food i'm reducing that down as well so if you imagine like a normal day of eating for somebody they might have 300 grams of chicken breast in a meal and they might have 200 
100 grams of veggies and they might have three or 400 grams of rice or something. Yep. So all up, that's about a 700 gram meal. So if I could get the same amount of calories, the same macros, but use a 40 gram protein bar to get that 20 grams of protein or whatever, I've saved myself 260 grams of food volume. And then I do the same with carbs. If I could get the person to have, you know, 50 grams of lollies, not healthy, but instead of having 400 grams of carbs of like brown rice, I've just reduced that food volume from 400 grams. So I've saved 350 grams of food weight. So this is in the the day before or the two days before I'm just reducing the actual physical size. They might be the same amount of calories but I've reduced the volume in their gut so again this is really acute day before stuff and that means that the the athlete is probably feeling a lot better than if I'd left left it to the last minute and told them that they need to lose one or two kilos the day before their fight by sitting in a sauna and passively sweating a psychologically being in that heat is stressful and b losing that much water weight is not only going to affect their cognition so if you're looking at a technical sport like boxing where you know strategy is a really oh, big it's game everything, yeah. if they've lost that then that's also going to impair their outcomes you know they're winning or losing essentially but also their ability to recover depending on how long they have to recover whether it's three hours or 24 hours if i've just done a mild like you know for some people we might just reduce water from three liters a day down to one liter a day in the day leading up so that would be a mild water restriction but it's not full water cut they're not going in there like psychologically (laughs) busted and dry and it's a lot easier to recover from so like sure we can go for the you know the jugular when it comes to a weight cut and get them to do all the drastic stuff and you know a part of it's a culture thing as well it's like yeah like it's hardcore like I you know I have to do rocky style stuff and just what you do but if you're really serious about getting the best outcomes I would really encourage people to review their strategies and actually look at what some of the more modern techniques are and rather than going for the dramatic stuff why can't we start back a little bit further and be a bit more organized and work with somebody who's not just working off like the equivalent of bro science and get some good results and better outcomes and probably I've worked with three or four chicks last year who'd all gone into their competitions with a water load and they probably would have gone like super super duper low carb, low cow, drastic in the two weeks prior and they, they went in feeling like junk. I would rather have somebody walking into weigh in like strutting their stuff and be like, yeah, I got right, this because, I, yeah. because I, I weighed in the night before and I was already under. So psychologically they're already they're already winning if they can go in in that state. Okay. So what, what do I do after a cut? Like how do I recover post um, weigh in? Yeah, and that's a big one as well. So this is the same with bodybuilding competitions. Like I think anybody who's been in those sort of circles know that there is a come down from a competition, especially if we've done... There's a lot of donut and pizza. There is a a lot of donut and pizza action. And rightly so, you know, you've been restricted for a long time. But I think it all... You feel like shit after you eat it though. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's like that food baby comes along and it's like... But it's important that to be working with somebody in that outward period as well. So we want people to be incrementally increasing their energy intake. And this is nice. This is what we call, you know, potentially comes under the banner of reverse dieting it's nice in theory in practice i have found that people 
very rarely are able to control themselves after having elicited so much self-control leading in. Once that goal is gone, they're like, yeah, like I thought about doing a reverse diet, but if I have to count one more calorie or restrict one more meal, I'm going to go bonkers and it doesn't really matter anymore. So the, the one thing that I really try and drum into people is having that conversation about the post competition gig earlier, like not the day after. I'm talking to them about it the weeks prior so that they are mentally prepared like oh okay I know what my plan is so I will try and give people a plan to go straight on to whether it's like really strict some people need the guidance they want it to be really rigid because just mentally that's where they're at the moment so I try and meet them where they're at other people I'm just giving them guidelines like I want you to increase you know your carb serves I want you to increase your protein serves I want to increase your total calorie intake just so they have a plan so that they know on Monday when they have to go back to the real world that they know what to expect and also talking to them about weight gain afterwards and this is where it's really important to be working with somebody who is not just going to leave you high and dry afterwards because it can be quite distressing if you if you haven't spoken about you know expectations of weight regain afterwards this is when it becomes you know a potential for a lot of binge binge eating and overcompensation so body fat where it might have been one or two kilos turns into five or ten yeah, gotcha. um, and we've we've all seen that happen quite regularly and that comes down to how excessive the restriction was in the first place which then brings us right back to the very start of this conversation which is how appropriate was the weight cut was it valid how robust was the person mentally going into the weight cut and some people can handle weight cuts like it's just business like and and that's a lot of professional athletes like watching somebody like conor mcgregor who you know drops five to eight kilos on the reg coming into a competition it's business for him and i don't think he really cares what he looks like afterwards he's not worrying about he you know fitting into his jeans and it was never about that where people have used a weight cut to lose weight as a motivation to lose weight that's when it's super risky because it's like i said when that motivation is gone you're left with this body that everyone's like oh my god you've done so well yippee you know high five but four weeks later the chances of you having regained that weight is very high so we're talking to people about increasing their calories incrementally hopefully i've done a good job in making sure that they're not restricting in like silly ways like cutting out whole food groups and stuff like that because when i tell you in this weight cut you can't have donuts unfortunately like i'm not encouraging people to eat donuts but if i say okay you can't have these foods because they're bad or toxic or whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna want five as soon as i finish and a lot of people food hoard yes when i finish my weight cut i'm gonna have four pizzas I'm going to have three donuts and I'm going to eat, drink a bottle of wine, which is like, you know, whatever. Not ideal because that's when we get into that binge restrict cycle. So if you've done your weight cut correctly and had some of those foods that you fancy on a regular basis within your calorie budget, we're less likely to fling backwards into that binge restrict cycle post as well. So we have to sit back and look at the plan as a whole leading in and know that that post period we are we need to increase our calories back up. It might not be to the same level as when you first started it might be possible that you you know you had 10 kilos to lose you lost 10 you regained five and you stay at that weight yep, that's you. totally possible okay so you know we want to make sure you know in the in the 
right after the competition, that's probably another, like directly after weigh-in, that's probably another topic where we can cover. Yeah, that's what I want to get to right now, like a lot more short-term. I've just, so I just want to talk a little bit more short-term. I've just weighed in. What am I having? And I'm talking performance now, not, yep. not like weight's probably not an issue anymore because I've made weight. Mm-hmm. In, let's assume it's Yippee. a sport along that line, not yep. one that gets uh, re-weighed over and over again. What am I doing to get my, like, my, what am I doing to recover? Because I want to perform. Yeah, absolutely. And you've just water-loaded me. Yep. The coaches beat me yep. leading into that. Mm-hmm. You've had me on some type of calorie restriction for a while because we're coming with a strategy we're not doing it in the last seven days yep so i've pretty well much been monitored from morning to night yes. heavily and i've got what a day after yep. weighing 24 hours 24 hours to compete hour and i need in. to be at where all that training everything i've done happens now yep so first things first if we've done any kind of water restriction i want to be making sure that i'm making up that water weight so i'm gonna you wouldn't get a lot of nice text messages really would you like when you think about it, you've just loaded me up with water and you've restricted me with water. Yeah. Now you're going to give me more water. Surprisingly, people, it's kind of like, what's that thing where you fall in love with your captor? Like, people are really friendly. <laughs> I get lots of great text messages afterwards. Oh, They're like, okay. oh my God, I did it. So like, I can see what you're saying. I yeah. could be the most hated person in yeah. the world. But generally speaking, there's a trust there. Essentially, what I'm first looking at is, okay, if we've done any kind of water restriction, I want to replenish that water that was lost. So, you know, general rule of thumb is just say you lost a kilo of water. I want to replace that with 1.5 times that so i'm getting that person within the first couple of hours to probably more aggressively increase their water intake if it's larger than that we might include some electrolytes just to assist with that water retention we're definitely having probably a celebration meal at this stage personally when i go to weigh in i've generally been through the airport the day before there might be some mrs fields cookies in my pocket i don't know how they got there but i'm eating those so generally speaking you know i always get people to take along the food that they want to eat because if it's been a big weight cut and it's been a big deal you want to shovel food into your face fairly quickly you're not totally that. you're not overly worried about what's happening here no no look if it's 24 hours they're probably going to feel uncomfortable after that first meal but they've got a fair amount of time to be sensible after that it's all nice and well to eat you know, some people can very happily eat like the clean food so I'll go and have their brown rice and their chicken and their broccoli it's a personality type thing I reckon and then there's me who's putting it <laughs> on top of their ice cream <laughs> so you're talking carbohydrate rich meals yep yep yep, yep. so again if there's any kind of carbohydrate depletion we want to re- replace those we you have you know, a bit of a carbohydrate load coming into the competition if there's a longer sort of lead time and just essentially filling up their energy stores back up and you know, in some cases like oh, I'm happy if i'm two to three kilos heavier the next day and so in this 24 hour mark i'm just trying to get like maximal performance here am i worrying about fiber look to be honest if you've restricted fiber for the week leading in which was I, one of your strategies yeah yep. yeah i would be a little bit cautious in reintroducing it back in some people might be fine with it other people that might actually cause quite a lot of bloating so i would just go slow with reintroducing it just in that initial period it's probably look fiber content in three or four days of restriction it's not going to be a massive change but we do want to be just aware that it might cause some discomfort if you go for a few days without it and introduce it back in there might be a bit of bloating and whatnot so yeah we are mindful of it is there a science exactly to reintroducing it back in after a few days restriction i'm not so sure on that so it's just being aware of that you know don't go too wild or if you are going to go wild give yourself enough lead time for it to settle down again but definitely fluids and carbohydrates would be the key ones there that i'm focusing on 
So the big thing here is stay close to your competition weight. Yep. Let's get away from yo-yo dieting. Yes. Seek the advice of a... Accredited sports dietitian. Do you want to say that again? Accredited sports dietitian. Yeah. Is there any good reading that we should have a read of? In real- I mean, obviously, this is a big topic and a lot of sports are all this about is, weight. This is a big one. And the the bloke in Australia who has, you know, he did his PhD. So Reed Real is the guy. I was very lucky to do my anthropometry course with him back when before he started his PhD and I've bugged him a few times over email in between now and then. Him and Gary Slater did their research around water, water loading. Oh, is Gary good? Yep, good. Oh, you mate, hope you well. Still kicking. It's been a while since we caught up. But yeah, so they've, you know, there's a lot of work with both their names, Louise Burke as well, Greg Cox, sort of they've all sort of worked within the, the area of combat sports. But yeah, Reed Real has got a couple of really good podcasts specifically just on his research, which mm-hmm. is fab, but he'd be the person I would be Googling. We might put a couple of links at the bottom, some books, some reading, some research yep. that you think yep. is going to help people because I'm obviously a big topic. We've talked about it jovially for an hour. Yes. It's a lot more serious when you dig down deep and you're talking about athlete psychology. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Performance definitely. winning. Definitely. Absolutely. And that's probably a key takeaway is, you, you know, we're not focusing on weight class sports for weight loss. We don't want this to be a new bikini body like goal. We're really talking about performance here and it really needs to be the set, the front and centre of the topic. If we're using it otherwise, then we need to reassess our motivations and our need, you know, don't kid yourself essentially. And especially if you're an amateur, like I know, especially like work moving in the strong person circles, people are looking at, at weight cuts as a as a weight loss tool and it really ruins ruins the sport for them because they're so focused on the weight they are not focusing they're focusing what their body can't do they're not focusing what the body can do which is some pretty cool stuff and it's a can-do style sport isn't it yeah 100 percent. bigger the better you know what i mean like it's it's not for (laughs) skinny minis (laughs) (laughs) so harriet if we want to catch up with you what's your insta handle yeah so i talk a lot about this on my instagram so i am at at athletic eating which is my business. Um, that's where I see my athletes. And I also have a couple of blogs on athleticeating.com.au. We'll throw that link at the bottom of bodyscience.com.au forward slash podcast. Harry, it's really good to have you in again. I'm really glad we got to talk about your sport. You know, we get you to talk about a lot of other things like weight loss, fat loss, all the things around the dietitians that people love. But yeah. You know, this is this one will really tick the box to the people that um Yep, absolutely. And especially coming in this this time of year when we do have a lot of nationals, competitions, static monsters and whatnot coming up. Definitely a really useful one for people to be checking in on. Perfect. Get on board. Thanks, Thanks for everyone. Having me. Bye. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.